0: Would you pray for our time in the Word? My Father, again, Jesus, thank yes. you so much for this new day, Father God. We are here
1: to worship you, God, to hear from you, Lord Jesus. We are here, Father, because we need you. Yes. We are here, Father, because you first love us. We love you, Father. We are here, Father God, because we know there is freedom in Christ, Father like God. We are here, Father, because you have set us free from sin and death, Father God. We are here, Father God, because you are worthy. and There is no one, there is nothing in this earth that satisfies us more than you, Father God. We are here, Father God, because you are holy, holy, holy. And there is no one like you, my God. You are sitting in the throne father god you are looking down from heaven father god and we pray Lord oh jesus that you find us faithful that you you will be pleased with our worship that you will be pleased with all of us father god that you will say those are my people those are the one that i have called out of darkness to your marvelous light my god here i am father god here we are father god to worship you here we are father god to say send us here we are to say, Father, do with me whatever you want to do, yes. Father God. More of you and less of me, my, my Lord, Holy Spirit. Take control of my body. Take control of my thought. Take control of my mind. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Have your way. We need you, Father. Without you, we can do nothing. But we know, Father God, that with you all things are possible, so, Lord Jesus. Yes. We worship you. We are here to say, you are God. You are good. There is nothing that we can say that is bad about you, Father God, because you are holy. And you're aid us in your image, Father God, so I pray, Lord Jesus, that this morning you will be satisfied that, you will be, that it will be a, a beautiful aroma to your natural, Father God so we thank you because with you, God I know, Father, that I have been set free, you have set me free from everything, Lord, and you have set every single person in this room free for, for, you have given us freedom joy, joy, unexplicable Father God, and for that, Lord Jesus we love you, here we are in Jesus' name we pray, amen
0: that none should perish but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you yet for another day, Lord, of your new mercies. I thank you, Father, yet for another day to, to gather together, to, to open your word and to be encouraged. Father, you know exactly where each one of us are at. and I pray, Holy Spirit, that we'd be attentive your leading this day, that we would completely surrender, that we would lay everything down, Father. Oh, God, that our hearts cry would be more of you and less of us. Oh, Father, your word says that we could do nothing apart from you, and you call us to abide in you. So give us, Lord, a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Father, we thank you that you make every crooked path straight. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, and that hope in you, Lord, will never disappoint us. So no matter where we find ourselves today, we thank you, Father, that you are for us and not against us, and that you've lavish your love and your mercies upon us. May we not take it for granted. But may we fix our eyes upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. So have your way among us and in us, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. The second R for this year, resolve. There's three R's I've been putting before us since the beginning of the year. Repentance, resolve, and to release. And my prayer is not only for myself, but for all of us that we would grow, that we would mature in our faith, that we would grow ever closer to Christ day by day by day, not relying on our own strength, but relying on him. So I want to focus in on the word resolve. The second R, to decide firmly on a course of action to make up one's mind. Some scriptures have given us, Philippians four thirteen for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Psalm 18, verse 6 through 8, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 24 through 25. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. In Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In Romans 6, verse 11 through twelve, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires to resolve, to decide firmly on the course of action, to make up one's mind. When you hear these scriptures, I I pray that they are encouraging you to daily. These are just a few scriptures that are found in the scriptures as a whole. There's so many more that would encourage you to make up your mind for once and for all to follow Christ. Jesus himself says, when he looks at his disciples, he says, Before you come after me, consider the cost, because it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. You are to lay your life down. The call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up the cross, and to follow him. We are in this world, but we're not of the world. We are new creations. If you are in (coughs) Christ, you have been born again of a new nature, born of the Spirit. So you're living differently. You're walking differently. You're talking differently. The desires that once controlled you, they don't rule you any longer. You've learned to apply truth. You've learned to be not only a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. You have this understanding that Jesus is alive, and all that he accomplished took place. Sin and death are defeated. Sin and death are defeated. We're no longer to be enslaved to sin. And the Bible tells us where does sin come from? From the desires that are from within. Remember, all of us, we are born into rebellion against a holy God. That is the nature in which our physical bodies, everything about us, is born into this world. We are in agreement that God is bad, God is not good, because we're in rebellion towards Him when we're born. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. In and of its nature, it's selfish. And as we are, before Christ, before we come to Christ, we only consider ourselves, me, myself, and I. And we're shaped and we're formed by everything that has taken place in us and around us and to us. And the sad thing is, and I keep encouraging us to understand this, is that everything of that nature is meant to destroy us. It's meant for death. It's what it craves. It doesn't desire life. It's meant to die because that's all sin can do. That's all it can bring about is death. But the good news that is found in Christ, the good news that is found in the gospel is life, eternal life, true life, life in Christ. And it's not anything that I have to do or you have to do to clean yourself up. No, you just have to believe. You have to believe that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And as I keep encouraging us, you can't have this second R, even the third R, if you don't have the first R, which is repentance. To recognize your need for the Savior. To turn from the old. To die to the old and to turn to the new. Turn to Christ. Come to Christ. Repent. Believe and confess that He is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. Listen, we've known, as Scripture tells us, if our message was just the cross, we would be fools. Mm -hmm. But our message is more than just the cross. It is the resurrection. He is the resurrected Christ. He is the living Christ. He is seated in heaven, the right hand of the throne of God, the place of authority. He has finished it all. In fact, he cried out, it is finished. And now those who had the blessed hope in him are waiting for his return. And everything that we're seeing in the world is leading up to that. And I keep encouraging us as the world is getting darker and darker and darker. You, if you're a Christian, should be getting brighter and brighter. Oh, we have hope. We're not lost like the world is lost. No, we carry the hope of Christ. We, we carry the message of hope to a dying world. So share your faith. Live your faith. Believe in the one in whom you say you believe in. And allow his power to strengthen you day in and day out. Because this life in him has to be a life that he is leading. He's not just an addition to your life. No, he is your life. You know, the Bible tells us if we walk habitually in the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Freedom, you all. True freedom comes from true transparency. And the Bible tells us how does he transform us? By changing the way you think. So so you have to choose this day whom you're going to serve. How are you going to think? That's why the Bible tells us take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of his lordship. And I encourage us, as I encourage myself, don't let your thoughts run wild. When you begin to start thinking a lie, take hold of it and exchange it for his truth. Believe upon Jesus. So when we think about resolving, when when we think about deciding firmly on a course of action to make up one's mind to live for Christ. To understand that we can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Who shall I fear? Because I'm in Christ. I'm trusting in Him. I'm not trusting in people. And then I'm living For an eternal prize. I'm not settling for the temporalness of this life. Remember, everything temporal leads you to death. There's nothing good. It may satisfy you in that moment. It may satisfy you for an hour. It may satisfy you for a year. But trust me, in the end, it loses its flavor. There's nothing that can come from it. So we're not living on the temporalness of life. Rather it be relationships, rather it be our material things, rather it be on whatever it may be that tries to lure us out from His presence. No, you can say no because you find your worth in Christ. And if you're not finding your wholeness, your worth in Christ, trust me, you're seeking it from something else or someone else. To be whole, not broken, not bound by insecurities, not bound by fear, but a whole life that can only be found in Christ. See, you can come as you are, because he knows everything about us. He knows where we've been and what we've done. And yet he says, come, come. Not that we would remain the same, but that he would transform us. And in that transformation, it's not pointing to us what we have done, but it's pointing to Him and what He has done in and through us. Because listen to Galatians 5 again, verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit Let us follow the spirits leading in every part of our lives. So when those old desires try to trigger you, when those thoughts try to come back, when your insecurities are screaming at you, when life is tormenting you, are you standing, you all? Are you speaking back? Because you ought to be. Don't give up and don't give in. You got to press in. I keep encouraging us. The Christian life is a life that's moving forward. It's a life that's moving forward. You are going to endure hardships on this earth. Jesus himself tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Do you remind yourself of these truths? See, you got to resolve, you got to make up your mind that when you wake up each and every single day, you are behind enemy lines. <laughs> and I keep saying that, and I hope it's just not falling on deaf ears. I hope there's an awakening taking place within us as we're seeing the darkness sweep across the earth. The level of deception, the level of mayhem, the level of perversion, everything is increasing. Oh, but we're not to shudder. We're not to fear. No, we know that the time is near then. And that should awaken us to live and to be the light and to share the truth and to raise the standard. Oh, you're going to be hated. You're going to be pushed back upon. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Your, your hope is not that this world is going to turn around for the better because unfortunately it's not. <laughs> because there's a day where he's returning and up to the day to his return, this world is chaotic and it's just getting darker. And we're studying, as we're studying through the book of Revelation, we're, we're getting understanding, we're, we're, getting, we're getting discernment of the times that we are in. So, back to Romans 6 then. So you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Resolve. Make up your mind. Speak these truths. Tell yourself daily. Encourage yourself. Strengthen yourself. Encourage and strengthen others. Live it out. Live it out. Listen. Yet though... (laughs) You may not be feeling victorious. Christ is victorious. We have to be led by our feelings. Our feelings come and go, but Christ remains the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Taking thoughts captive, bringing them underneath His Lordship, into His obedience. Just being honest and transparent with yourself and with others. Trusting that God has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That he's engrafted you into his kingdom. He has given you the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. He has adopted you. And all the misconception and lies that you once believed about him begin to fade away when you truly get to know him. When you truly get to know him. So as we think about resolve, I want to give you three areas that I want to encourage you in, hopefully this week and the weeks to come, that you will resolve to mature in. Here are the three. Your devotion to Christ Jesus, your fellowship with believers, and your application of his word. So let's go to some scriptures that's going to encourage us, I hope, just persevere in these. So we're going to look at scriptures for now. Devotion to Christ Jesus. We're going to go to Matthew 22, verse 37. To resolve, to make up your mind. To be devoted to Christ. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus' words. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Jesus' words, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with your whole person. (laughs) Be devoted to Christ. Love Christ. I love when the word tells us if we seek him, we will find him. If we seek him with our whole heart. We're not to have a divided heart. We're not to have a divided loyalty, one foot in, one foot out. No, no. It's all or nothing. It's everything unto Christ. Learning what it means to live for Christ. By first understanding that you are called, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Remember, from the beginning to the end, God's purpose to have a people that he will call his own in return, they will call him their God. And as we're studying through scripture, we're seeing that that is the issue. (laughs) Is that people would rather live for themselves. But that's not how a Christian ought to be living. We're to be honoring Christ, living for Christ, and loving him with everything Within us. Go to Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26. Matthew 16, verse 24 through 20, 26. Again, Jesus' words If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, You will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Again, Jesus' words. If any of you wants to follow me, or to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. From the beginning all the way to the end, Up until the day, until Christ appears again, there's the church is going to be assaulted. The church is going to be confronted with a false gospel, with false teachings. And if you're not rooted in Christ, God help you, that you're not swept away with it. You are to be rooted in Christ, remaining in Christ. And that's why I keep encouraging you if you're hearing a message that tells you that you can live however you want and gives you this false sense of security, of safety, of salvation, oh God, help us. It's from the beginning to the end. And that's why all through the New Testament, the letters written to the church, bottom line, summing up, it's basically telling you to grow up, to mature. It keeps warning, they keep warning us what it will be in the last days, what we're going to face, the level of false, the false gospel rising up to deceive even the elect, if it is even possible. The, he, he, the word tells us that even in the end, there will be people who will wander away from the faith and begin to follow doctrines of demons. <laughs> like we're in a war. That's why I keep encouraging you. You are behind enemy lines. You have got to take whom you say you believe in and believe (laughs) him. Know him. Live for him. Jesus' words. This isn't man's words. This is Jesus' words. He knows not everyone is coming after him. He knows not everyone is going to follow him. He knows that people are are, are like, okay, maybe, maybe, you know. What can you do for me, Jesus? Fix my life, Jesus. Oh, he understands those who who come for their own reasons. But those who would truly follow him, they understand the call. Lay your life down and follow me. These are Jesus' words to be devoted to him. Go to John 15. Verse 5 through 8. Again, scriptures to encourage us. John 15, verse 5 through 8. Jesus' words. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. All to be producing fruit. Your life should be bringing glory to God in your obedience. And it's not a life, again, the Christian life is not a burdensome life. Oh, I have to do this. I've got to go to church. I've got to study my Bible. I've got to love Jesus. I, listen, if that's your life, if that's how you look at the Christian life, you don't understand the Christian life because the Christian life is not burdensome. No, no, when you understand what you have received from Christ, when you understand why he died for you, when you understand that you deserve to be punished, but he stepped in and said, I'll take it. When you understand who he is, and see him for who he is, and love him for who he is, and believe in him, and confess him, like you were born again. You're no longer living in rebellion. No, now you're in relationship. You're in, you're in an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your creator, the one who formed you and placed you in your mother's womb. The one who has purposed you and has planned you for such a time as this. I keep encouraging you. You were meant for today. As long as there's breath in your body, you were meant to be the light in this darkened world. You don't have to get lost in it. You have a purpose. And your purpose is so much greater than you can even possibly understand. Like when your spiritual eyes are open, you get grounded and you get rooted in Christ and you realize, oh God, you have me here for a reason. I don't want to waste my days. I don't want to waste my time on the temporal things of life. No, God. No, God. Here I am, send me. And you go with purpose each and every single day. No matter where we're at in our life, no matter what age we are, you are purposed. You are purposed. And you must get up and you must live on purpose every single day. You must abide in him, remain in him. Let his words to begin to define you. Hunger and thirst for truth. Don't settle for lies, because remember, that's the enemy. The enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He is actively working to destroy you, to destroy your loved ones, to destroy life. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And he's not giving up. In fact, his fury is going to continue. But ultimately, his end comes. But until that day, the church, she's here. And that's what I keep telling you. You say, well, then what hope is in this world if it's getting darker? The church is here. And it's not just to come to church. No, no, it's to be the church. It's to live it out. We're the body of Christ. He is the head. We're many parts, but we collectively form one. And we're to serve and we're to love others. We're to offer them hope, not just to go along with them. You will be hated. You will be persecuted. Again, I keep telling you, the level of persecution is rising upon the earth. It's at one of the highest times it's ever been. Christians are being slaughtered all around the world. They're being arrested, and I keep giving you this understanding. That's why we came. That's why I don't understand why we play like it's nothing. Like okay, well I'm a Christian. <laughs> Listen. Have you considered the cause? Do you understand who he is? I mean, there's brothers and sisters, and I keep encouraging us every other day or so, week or so. Like there's people who got up today and they went to church and they knew possibly they wouldn't come home because the guards busted down the door and dragged them out, beat them, murdered them, slaughtered them, arrested them. And yet they showed up. They knew what was before them. But they knew Jesus ultimately loved them. And they went and they celebrated him, knowing good and well could have cost them their life. They go out among their communities and they live a life that's honorable to God, bringing glory to God, and yet they're slaughtered for it. They're arrested for it. They're looked at the ones who are causing the problems. Christians are looked at even on the west side of, of the earth now, in our area, as people who are causing divisions, who are causing strife. Oh, you're unloving. Look at the hatred. <laughs> All because we have a standard in which we speak forth. It's not us, it's Him. And those who like darkness will reject his truth. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us to live and to be devoted to him. That we will be among his true disciples, bearing fruit and living lives that bring glory to the Father. Go to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's will for you, it's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. How many people wrestle with God, push God away? See him in error. They listen to the lies of the enemy. They listen to the lies of other people who are just enslaved to themselves and to darkness. And they regain what little bit of knowledge we think of God. And yet that knowledge is twisted to make him out to be a horrible God. But when you know him, I keep encouraging you, there's no error found in him. Oh, he is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of, of hope. Yes, he's a God of wrath. Because he's a just God. He's a holy God. And we weren't meant for his wrath. We were meant for his love. It's us that choose it. And that's why I keep encouraging, why would you choose his wrath over his love? Why would you want to be swallowed up in his wrath when he longingly loves to embrace you and call you out to be his own. Oh, we do not want to hold up our fist to a holy God. No, we want to surrender to him because he first loved us. I God is love. He first loved us. Even though we were in complete rebellion to him, he loves us. Nothing will change that. Nothing will change that. His love for us stands. It's up to you to really understand why Jesus came. Because of his love, he sent his one and only son. Because ultimately, the world already stands judged. We deserve his wrath. We've turned against him. He understands that condition. That's why he came. To redeem us. To reconcile us back to himself. We belong to him. Are you living as such? Are you living without understanding? Are you under, do you have a good concept that he is good, he is pleasing, and he is perfect? Do you have the right image of God? Because before Christ, we had the wrong image. <laughs> And even while in Christ, if we're not learning of Him, he, that image can become distorted. That's why it is vital that you're growing as a Christian. You're just not settling for the scraps, but that you're growing, that you have a hunger. Second Peter, verse one, three through eleven. Second Peter first one three through eleven. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to him. The one who is called, I'm sorry, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Ah, oh, are you hearing? And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Oh, look at this. And escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement. Add to your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control, patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and with brotherly brotherly affection with love for everyone. Listen to that. The more you grow... Ha! The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Ah, did you hear that? Growing in faith, devoted to Christ, maturing Your life is producing something within you when you come to Christ. I keep encouraging you. It's just not a one-time little prayer. And then we just send you back out into life. Or you just get so involved with church activity that there's no transformation. No, you have to be transformed because you were born again. You just don't hold a form of religion and deny his power. No, you live out the newness of life that you've received because you've been born again. Nothing of yourself, but all of him. That's how great he is to be devoted to Christ. And that's why I want to encourage us to resolve, to make up your mind, to love God. The second one, fellowship with believers Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 31. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 31. Oh, may these scriptures encourage you and enrich your lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 31. Scripture down. Please hold. To get back to that one let's go to hebrews then i'll get the notes updated on that one let's go to hebrews chapter 10 <clears throat> hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 through 25 Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Again, to resolve uh, to get involved in and, and fellowshipping with other believers and the importance of it. We need each other. We are to encourage, we are to edify, we are to build each other up. We cannot live this life alone or apart from each other. We need each other. Listen to the scripture again, so let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near go to acts I'm sorry Matthew 18 verse 20 we're all over the word today Matthew 18 verse 20 Oh, what a beautiful promise. For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Jesus is not only within us, but he is among us. Oh, the hope we have in the fellowship of believers. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and in prayer. This is how the church lives. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they have. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Ah, the fellowship of believers. There's something rich about it. Ah, there's something that we should desire community with each other. Again, to encourage, to edify, to build each other up. To be transparent with each other. To expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. So many times when we find ourselves sinning, find ourselves straying from Christ, instead of turning to Christ, instead of turning to fellowship, we pull away, first from God and then from fellowship. And that ought not to be. (laughs) No, we are to come to Christ, come into his presence, come into fellowship. Find accountability, growth, maturity. That's what should be coming forth from our life. Oh, what would they think about me? What are they going to say about me? It doesn't matter. Because they're probably going through the same thing. If we would just start living transparent lives, where we can come together, and iron sharpens iron. You have people around you that are praying for you, encouraging your growth in Christ. We're not setting standards for each other that that can't be met. No, Christ set the standards for the church. And collectively, he's given us each other. And that's why I keep encouraging you all. You should be a healthy member of the body of Christ. We need you. We need each other. Because again, the world is getting darker and we're to be growing brighter. But if we're scattered, if we're divided, if we're not living it out together, then what are we doing? Go to John chapter 13. John 13, verse 34 and 35. These are Jesus' words. John 13, verse 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And this is what I really want to look at hone in on and focus in on, verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. These are Jesus' words. Your love for one another. Your love among the body of Christ. See, the world should be looking at the church and see there's something different. What would bring together people from all walks of life, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, And there's no division among them. There is a unity. There's a love that is incorporated within their fellowship and their desire for community that's unlike anything the world can ever possibly have. So there's only one thing that can do that. It's because we belong to Him. We belong to Him. That is the standard, that's how we are to be living. We just don't go with, oh, that's just how they are. That's just who he is. That's just what they do. Oh, no, no. There's a standard in which we are to hold each other to. And it's not man's standard. It's God's standard. Because of his great love for us. Oh, there's a way in which we are to live. And so to resolve, to make up your mind, to be in fellowship with believers. To be devoted to Christ. And finally, let's look at some scriptures before we get into our actual scriptures for today. Application of His Word. To resolve in your mind. To make up your mind. To apply the Word of God. James 1, verse 22 through 25. And when you get the notes this week, Oh, how I pray that you would take them and sit with them. Meditate upon them. Pray through them. and allow the truth to empower your life to live it. 1 John, I'm sorry, James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. But but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. we are to be a doer of the word. Not just listening. Are you applying truth, you all? Listen, your freedom you should desire more than that which is being offered to you to enslave you. You should learn how to take the sword and use it to slay the enemy. To push down that which is trying to overtake you. Listen, I love it in Ephesians where it calls us to dress for battle. But I love it where it says, after you've done all you know to do, then stand. And stand therefore then. Not in your own strength, in his and to trust the fact that God will bless you for doing what is right what is true what is honest to trust in him to know his word to apply his truth go to second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 and verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 and verse 19 So work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval Be a good worker one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth Verse 19 but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription The Lord knows those who are His, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. To apply truth, to apply the Word of God, it is the truth that sets us free. To apply truth, it turns you from evil. To apply truth, it turns you from evil. If you find yourself enslaved to sin, if you find yourself where you ought not to be, you're not applying truth. And applying truth doesn't come easy. Isn't that crazy? You really don't have to give thought to do wrong. You could just do it. You don't have to get thought. It's, it's sometimes not even that. You just do it. Like there would be people who would get up today, and maybe one of us, but there would be people all throughout the earth that will get a thing and just do wrong. Because that's just how they're living. Living for themselves. Me, myself, and I. I want to live for me. I want what I want. And you owe me. People owe me. They don't owe my pain. They don't owe my hurt. And they're just, they're just filled with so much selfishness. But try to do what is right when you have thoughts wanting to lead you to do what's wrong. Try to think of others before you think of yourself and watch the war that takes place. You want the reality that this is real? Just try to live that out. I keep telling you it is a spiritual realm as the Bible tells us that we cannot see that we are at war with. We're not at war with each other. We're principalities, rulers in the air of the darkness. And if we are still bent, living out of our old nature in rebellion to God, <coughs> we're wreaking havoc because they're wreaking havoc in us and through us. But listen, if you are a child of God, you are to be doing what is right, living in a way that honors God, growing and maturing, not just settling for things that are trying to afflict you or try to keep you identifying with what is behind you. No, no, that old man, that old woman is dead. So you are to consider yourself dead, but alive in Christ. And there's a way that these truths are to be applied so that you are experiencing the fullness of the freedom in which Christ has come to give you. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. With this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is not just a suggestion. This is how we should be living. If we're going to maintain all that he has for us, we are to abide in him, to remain in him. And we're to let the message about Christ, the word of God, and all of his richness fill our lives. And then we're to teach and to counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Oh, this is the way to live, you all. The way to live. Listen, you got to press in. As we were just talking, it, applying truth, is, it, it doesn't come easy. You've got to push back against everything that is pushing on you. <laughs> and again, it's not in your strength, but it's in his proclaim the truth, to know the truth, to abide in truth. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no other way to God but through him. And there's a way in which we are called to live. And that's why it's vital that the word of God is applied to your life, that you're living it out, that it's just not a knowledge base. I I know it because there's a lot of people who know it. There's a lot of people who hear it over and over and over and over, and it has not changed them. And how sad. Because this word is alive. It's active. Mm -hmm. It can transform your life. Because he's the giver of life. He's not the author of confusion. No, he's the author of life. And he Mm -hmm. begins this work in us. And he is faithful to complete it. So you must rely on him. You should be devouring this daily. Not because I have to. Oh, it's a burden. No, you long to. This is who you are now. I keep encouraging you. Who are you now then? If you say you're a Christian, then how now shall you live? But following Christ, living for Christ, loving Christ. Go to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation. And look at this, and the salvation of those who hear you. Keep close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right. Stay true to the Word. Stay true to to godly, righteous teaching. Stay true to what God has already pinned. We're not to add to, we're not to take away. It's the full counsel from God inspired by the holy spirit men penned it but it's the living word of god it's active it's the sword it is the weapon that we have against the enemy that's meant and bent for our destruction go to second peter 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 12 through 21. And then we're going to read chapter 2. Ah, let's pay attention. Here we go. Verse 12 of chapter 1, 2 Peter. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught, And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven and when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay, listen to this, close attention to what they wrote. For the words are like a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. But there were also false prophets in Israel. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them, or who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth, look at this, will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell and gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desires and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels, who are far greater in power and strength, do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals. Creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat, listen to this, with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are useless as dried-up springs are in mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to the blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of destruction. They promise freedom but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. And you say, well, what's all that reading for? Oh God, we are warned. (laughs) Apply the truth of God's word. Know the truth. Because it's being twisted. It's being taught in error. It is enslaving people. And it's dragging people to destruction. That's why the word must be applied. The truth must be applied. I can't stress it enough. Know the word. (laughs) Eat the word. (laughs) Allow the word to be active in your life. As you resolve to be devoted to Christ, to be in fellowship with believers, and to apply the truth, you will mature you all. And this has been my hope and my encouragement for this year is that you won't get to December 31st, 2021, still where you are in your Christian life. God don't get, and I hope we all make it. (laughs) But let us not get there at the end and still be stunted not matured. Like, I'm encouraging us. Press in like you've never pressed in before. No matter where you're at and who you are, like, press in. Seek him while he may be found. God desires to reveal himself to you. And when you get a glimpse of who he is, (laughs) you won't deny him. Because when you realize what he wants to lavish upon you, what he has for you, why He has purposed you. You're not an accident. Your purpose for such a time as this, to live for God, to know God, to walk with God, to love God. Let's go to Judges chapter 19. Now we turn our focus to walking through Scripture. We're almost finished with the book of Judges. (laughs) Judges is a book of cycles. Remember, the Old Testament is vital to our learning. Because everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything is a foreshadow of Jesus. From the beginning, God said there will be one who will come and crush the serpent's head, Jesus. God sets a people aside for himself that they wouldn't live like the other nations. They will honor God, that they would love God, that they would be God's people. But all along, they keep rejecting God. But the Messiah, Jesus, will come from these people to save the world. God set them aside for himself. And yet they keep rejecting God. So in the book of Judges, we see they've entered the promised land. God is faithful. God turned them over and gave them what he said he was going to do. He was faithful to everything that he has promised. And yet they weren't faithful to him. They started intermingling with the other nations. They looked how they worshiped and said, oh, why can't we worship that way? We'll take a little bit of what we know about God and we'll just add it to what they're doing and we'll be okay. They started giving over to the sexual desires within them. They started just running amok, forgetting God. And the more that they did that, the more oppressed they became by by other nations. They weren't meant to live as oppressed people. And it's no different than our day. The more that we turn from God and we go after the temporal things of life, and we begin to live for ourselves, the more that we open up ourselves to being oppressed. Mm -hmm. And that is not the position of a believer. We're not to be oppressed. We're liberated. This is the hope that we have. To share with others. The freedom that is found in Christ. But these people... As soon as they were oppressed, as soon as they felt the weight, they cried out to God. God save us. God deliver us. And God would raise up a judge. The people would become free yet again. And right soon after that, they will go right back to their old ways. Remember that one time they cried out to God and God said, no, no, no. You have these other gods save you. And they're like, oh, come on, God. No, no, no. And they started tearing them down. They started smashing up all their idols. No, we mean it this time, God. We really love you. And God couldn't help but in his mercy and his compassion, turn towards them and help them. See, when you know your God, you all, when you truly understand his character, like I'm telling you, you won't settle for all this other foolishness that's out there. Like He's real. He's not just a story. He's not just something that man created. No, he's real. He's alive. I keep telling you, this book was written over thousands of years. And yet everything in it is coming true. There's no way man could have put this together. All the prophecies that are taking place, it's all in here. And people are bored in church. People are like, oh, okay, okay, well, okay, I'm a Christian. What? What are we doing? Like, either you believe it or you don't. And if you believe it, then by God, believe it. <laughs> Listen, last week we read about all the occult, all the stuff that was brouhaha going on, all this weird form of worship that the Israelites, God's people, were doing. They, have, they ought not to have done that. But they have given themselves over to these other foreign gods. And I've always told you, I've always encouraged you, and and I've always told you, where you see the occult, where you see the false worship rising, you will see perversion. You will see people turning themselves over to sexual desires at a higher level. Ever before. And so it is in our culture. So it is to come. We ought not to be shocked. Those who are living uh, immoral lives sexually, (laughs) they're not our enemies. We don't hate them. But, oh God, you should be praying for them. And, oh God, you should be upholding truth to them. I mean, again, (laughs) I'm one that came (laughs) from that life. I gave myself sexually to anyone and to anything. (laughs) I lived a, man, a life of lust and perversion and bondage to pornography and homosexuality for the majority of my life enslaved to darkness. When I think about the places I used to go, I go, oh God, Jesus help me. Like when I think what lust does to our minds, and to our bodies it may feel right it may feel good but it's destroying you I'm telling you so I'm not speaking from a platform of of making myself better no 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 I know what it's like to live enslaved to sexual desires and giving myself over and over and over to lust. And somehow we're saying to people it's the norm. It's okay. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. Or maybe they're not boys nowadays. Maybe they're not girls. Maybe they're this. Or maybe they're that. There's all this new confusion running amok in the world. And you don't think the enemy is working overtime to destroy what God has created? listen, The enemy, that's all he has set out to do, to distort the truth of God. And he's working overtime. And we're to be the people of God. And we're not to be giving in to sexual sins or sexual desires. It is horrendous. (laughs) You don't know how many pastors, how many Christians are enslaved to pornography, sexual morality, giving themselves over to these appetites because they're not living out the truth of God's word and they're hiding in shame because wonder if someone finds out this is what I'm doing. And how sad. And so today we pick up and we read a horrible, it's one of the horrible accounts in the word of God. All because of lust all because they've given themselves over. This is; These are God's people. So now in those days, Israel had no king. There was a man from the tribe of Levi living in a remote area, the hill country of Ephraim. One day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. But she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. After about four months, her husband Huh. Her husband set out from Bethlehem to speak personally to her and persuade her to come back. He took with him a servant and a pair of donkeys. When he arrived at her father's house, her, fa- her father saw him and welcomed him. Her father urged him to stay a while, so he stayed three days eating and drinking and sleeping there. On the fourth day, the man was up early, ready to leave, but the woman's father said to his son-in-law, Have something to eat before you go. So the two men sat down together and had something to eat and to drink. Then the woman's father said, "'Please stay another night and enjoy yourself.' The man got up to leave, but his father-in-law kept urging him to stay, so he finally gave in and stayed the night. On the morning of the fifth day, he was up early again, ready to leave, and again the woman's father said, "'Have something to eat, then you can leave later this afternoon.' So they had another day of feasting. Later, as the man and his concubine and servant were preparing to leave, his father-in-law said, Look, it is almost evening. Stay the night and enjoy yourself. Tomorrow you can get up early and be on your way. But this time the man was determined to leave. So he took his two saddled donkeys and his concubine and headed in the direction of Jabez, that is, Jerusalem. It was late in the day when they neared Jabez, and the servant said to him, Let's stop at this Jebusite town and spend the night there. No, his master said, we can't stay in this foreign town where there are no Israelites. Instead, we will go on to Gilba. Come on, let's try to get as far as Gilba or Ramah and we'll spend the night in one of those towns. So they went on. The sun was setting as they came to Gilba, a town in the land of Benjamin. So they stopped there to spend the night. See, he thinks he's among his people. He thinks he's among God's people. They stopped there to spend the night. They rested in the town square, but no one took them in for the night. Now, over in the Middle East, they really know hospitality. They will bring you in. You can be a total stranger. It's of that culture. They take care of each other. They feed each other. They protect each other. It's significant that not one person in this town brought this man in. That evening, an old man came home from his work in the fields. He was from the hill country of Ephraim, but he was living in Gilba, where the people were from the tribe of Benjamin. When he saw the travelers sitting in the town square, he asked them where they were from and where they were going. We have been in Bethlehem, in Judah, the man replied. We are on our way to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, which is my home. I traveled to Bethlehem and now I'm returning home, but no one has taken us in for the night. Even though we have everything we need, we have straw and feed for our donkeys and plenty of bread and wine for ourselves. You are welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I will give you anything you might need, but whatever you do, don't spend the night in the square. So he took them home with him and fed the donkeys. After they washed their feet, they ate and they drank together. While they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, Bring out that man who is staying with you so we can have sex with him. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, no, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing. For this man is a guest in my house, and such a thing would be shameful. Here." take my virgin daughter and his and this man's concubine and and concubine i will bring them out to you and you can abuse them and do whatever you like but do but don't do such a shameful thing to this man but they wouldn't listen to him so the levite took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door the men of the town abused her all night long, taking turns, raping her until morning. These are God's people. These were the people pulled out, caught out by God, acting like this. They have given themselves over to the gods of the other nations. They were perverted by watching everything the other nations were doing and they were saying, why can't we do it? Nothing's happening to them. What's going to happen to us? Let's just give ourselves over. They they were fueled by lust, These group of men from this town. And they came pounding on the door of this old man's home, demanding that he sends out the man, his guest, so they can have their way with him. But that old man said, that is vile That is shameful. That act cannot take place. I'll give you my daughter. I'll give you his concubine. But you cannot with this man. And things started escalating. Escalating. And so it just got out of control. And now we have this. See, lust brings nothing good from it. It may feel right. It may feel good in that moment, but it leads to destruction. There is a way, there is a way that sex was created and it was created in the purpose of how God designed it, not how the enemy has twisted it. And the sad thing is the church has not done a good job through the years confronting desires that people are dealing with and teaching them and training them on how not just to be moved by them but how to be freed by them. Understanding the design that God designed sex to be good, to be pleasurable, to be honorable unto him between a husband and a wife. And now that's laughed at, that's mocked at by the culture. People mock and laugh at it and now it's almost insulting even to be a virgin. Like, who, Why haven't you been with this or that? Why aren't you watching this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Isn't it interesting that pornography is, is, is slaughtering millions throughout the earth. And people are giving themselves over to satisfaction watching pornography. And they have no understanding that in that industry, those people are being abused. Those people are sex slaves. And yet we just give ourselves over to it. As if it's like, oh, it's good for me. I'm getting off. But you're giving in to something that is destructive. So if you're battling, if you're dealing with lust here, like you need to get right. You, you need to come and talk to me. Talk to someone who can encourage you. I mean, I know what it's like. I lived. With those desires fueling me since a kid. And now I walk upright, not because of anything of myself, but because of what Christ has done in me. Like I want to honor Christ. I want to live for Christ. I don't want to just give in to myself because I know what that would lead to, utter darkness. These men were fueled with lust. But they wouldn't listen to him. So the Levite took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door. The men of the town abused her all night, taking turns raping her until morning. Finally, at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman returned to the house where her husband was staying. She collapsed at the door of the house and lay there until it was light. When her husband opened the door to leave, there lay his concubine with her hands on the threshold. He said, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. So he put her body on his donkey and took her home. When he got home, he took a knife and cut his concubine's body into 12 pieces. Then he sent one piece to each of the tribe throughout all the territory of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, Such a horrible crime has not been committed in all time since Israel left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? Who's going to speak up? Then all the Israelites were united as one man, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, including those across the Jordan and in the land of Gilead. The entire community assembled in the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. The leaders of all the people and all of the tribes of Israel, 400,000 warriors armed with swords, took up their positions in the assembly of the people of God. Word soon reached the land of Benjamin that the other tribes had gone up to Mispop. The Israelites then asked how this terrible crime had happened. The Levite, the husband of the woman who had been murdered, said, My concubine and I came to spend the night in Gilba a town that belongs to the people of Benjamin. That night, some of the leading citizens of Gilba surrounded the house, planning to kill me, and they raped my concubine until she was dead. So I cut her body into 12 pieces and sent the pieces throughout the territory assigned to Israel. For these men have committed a terrible and shameful crime. Now then, all of you, the entire community of Israel, must decide here and now what should be done about this. And all the people rose to their feet in unison and declared, none of us will return home. No, not even one of us. Instead, this is what we will do to Gilba. We will draw lots to decide who will attack them. One-tenth of the men from each tribe will be chosen to supply the warriors with food. And the rest of us will take revenge on Gilba of Benjamin for this shameful thing they have done in Israel. So all the Israelites were completely united and they gathered together to attack the town. The Israelites sent messengers to the tribe of Benjamin saying, what a terrible thing has been done among you. Give up those evil men, those troublemakers from Gilbah, so we can execute them and purge Israel of all evil. But the people of Benjamin would not listen. They wouldn't turn those men over. Instead they came from their towns and gathered at Gilba to fight the Israelites. In all twenty-six thousand of their warriors armed with swords arrived in Gilba to join the seven hundred elite troops who lived there. Among Benjamin's elite troops, seven hundred were left handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target without a hair's breadth without missing, within a hair's breadth without missing. Israel have 400,000 experienced soldiers armed with swords, not counting Benjamin's warriors. Civil war is breaking out, you all. Before the battle, the Israelites went to Bethel and asked God, which tribe should go first to attack the people of Benjamin? The Lord answered, Judah is to go first. So the Israelites left early the next morning and camped near Gilba. Then they advanced toward Gilba to attack the men of Benjamin. But Benjamin's warriors, who were defeating the town, came out and killed 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. But the Israelites encouraged each other and took their positions again at the same place they had fought the previous day. For they had gone up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord until evening. They had asked the Lord, should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again? And the Lord said, go out and fight against them. So the next day they went out again to fight against the men of Benjamin. But the men of Benjamin killed another 18,000 Israelites of all whom were experienced with the sword." Then all the Israelites went up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord and fasted until evening. They also brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites, went seeking direction from the Lord, in those days the Ark of the Covenant of God was in Bethel, and Phinehas, son of Elizar, and grandson of Aaron, was the priest. The Israelites asked the Lord, Should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again, or should we stop? The Lord said, Go, tomorrow I will hand them over to you. Do you see the difference from when they asked the other two times? Did y'all catch that? They worshipped They worshipped him. And the Lord said, go, tomorrow I will hand them over to you. So the Israelites set an ambush all around Gilboa. They went out. On the third day, and took the positions at the same place as before. When the men of Benjamin came out to attack, they were drawn away from the town. And as they had done before, they began to kill the Israelites. About 30 Israelites died in the open fields along the roads, one leading to Bethel and the other leading back to Gilba. Then the warriors of Benjamin shouted, We're defeating them as we did before. But the Israelites had planned in advance to run away so that the men of Benjamin would chase them along the roads and be drawn away from the town. When the main group of Israelite warriors reached Baal Tamar, they turned and took up their positions. Meanwhile, the Israelites, hiding in ambush to the west of Gilba, jumped up to fight. There were 10,000 elite Israelite troops who advanced against Gilba. The fighting was so heavy that Benjamin didn't realize the impending disaster. So the Lord helped Israel defeat Benjamin. And that day, the Israelites killed 25,100 of Benjamin's warriors, all of whom were experienced swordsmen. Then the men of Benjamin saw they were beaten. The Israelites had retreated from Benjamin's warriors in order to give those hiding in ambush more room to maneuver against Gilba. Then those who were hiding rushed in from all sides and killed everyone in the town. They had arranged to send up a large cloud of smoke from the town as a signal. When the Israelites saw the smoke, they turned and attacked Benjamin's warriors. By that time, Benjamin's warriors had killed about 30 Israelites, and they shouted, We're defeating them as we did in the first battle. But when the warriors of Benjamin looked behind them and saw the smoke rising um, into the sky from every part of the town, the men of Israel turned and attacked. At this point, the men of Benjamin became terrified because they realized disaster was close at hand. So they turned around and fled before the Israelites toward the wilderness, but they couldn't escape the battle, and the people who came out of the nearby towns were also killed. The Israelites surrounded the men of Benjamin and chased them relentlessly, finally overtaking them from east of Gilba. That day, 18,000 of Benjamin's strongest warriors died in battle. The survivors fled into the wilderness towards the rock of Ramon, but Israel killed 5,000 of them along the road. They continued to chase until they had killed another 2,000 near Gidim. So that day, the tribe of Benjamin lost 25,000 strong warriors armed with swords, leaving only 600 men who escaped to the Rock of Remon, where they lived for four months. And the Israelites returned and slaughtered everything in all the towns. Mm-hmm. The people The livestock and everything they found they also burned down all the towns they came to good grief i keep encouraging us nothing good comes from the flesh nothing it only knows to die it only knows destruction if these people would have honored god if they would have trusted God Oh, their lives would have been different But These were God's people who turned from God Who lived for themselves Who gave themselves over God had already revealed himself to them God has already set up ways to bless them and keep them But they chose to say you're not God And so it is no different with us God is pleased to reveal Himself to us. But if we choose to say, You're not God, I'm God, I'm going to live for me, I'm going to do for me, then understand this the best that you'll get is really nothing. Even though you may be satisfied for today or in that moment, in the end, as I said earlier, it loses its flavor and it cannot satisfy your soul. Because you weren't meant and created for destruction. You were created to live. And life can only be found in Christ. Go to the book of John. Chapter 3. The book of John, chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 22-22 through chapter 4 verse 3 Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with the well, I'm sorry. Jesus spent some time with them baptizing people. At this time John the Baptist was baptizing in Anon, near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate about I'm sorry, a debate broke out between John's disciple and certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciple came to him and said, "Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you adif- identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us." Ah, listen to John's reply. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. Mm -hmm. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things. But he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard. But how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. For he is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. This is the word of God, you all. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. These men, these disciples came to John speaking of earthly things. And John was pointing them to heavenly things, to spiritual insight. See, that's why Paul writes to the church and says, Why are you trying to lit out in the flesh what you received in the spirit? Listen, this is a whole new way of living, you all. If you were in Christ, you have been born again. Born of the Spirit. Your eyes have been opened, your ears can hear. You see things differently now, and you're not bent towards destruction any longer. No, you have a newness of life, and you begin to crave that which is right, which is true, which is holy, because that's what he brings about in us. Life, you all. Eternal life. Everlasting life. The hope that is found in Christ. Like nothing and no one can compare to him, you all. He's alive. So as John spoke, may we speak the same. He needs to become greater and greater. And we need to become lesser and lesser. Because our life is no longer our own. We're living for Christ. Go to Psalm 104. We're going to finish this psalm. We opened it up last week. It's a beautiful psalm. We see God, that he is the creator. He not only created us, but he created all things. He's taking care of creation. Even the the smallest details needed for the animals, like God is satisfying everything that he has created. So we're going to pick up here and close out this psalm, verse 24 of 104. O Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. See the ships sailing along, and leviathan, with which you made to play in the sea. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand to feed them, and they are richly satisfied. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all He has made. The earth trembles at His glance. The mountains smoke at His touch. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let all sinners vanish from the face of the earth. Let the wicked disappear forever. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's close out Proverbs 14. Three nuggets of wisdom, verses 22 through 24. Proverbs 14. Verse 22 through 24. If you plan to do evil, you will be lost. If you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Wealth is a crown for the wise. The effort of fools yields only foolishness. How are you living? Oh, how I pray that you're taking the truth, the wisdom that comes from God and applying it each and every single day of your life and that you are being transformed by His power and loving Him even more today. you did yesterday that is worship and then i'll close this in prayer